Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says he'll meet with anybody. He'll meet with anybody. No preconditions. Anytime, anywhere, anybody wants a meeting, he'll meet with them. Oh, well, uh, except Robert Mueller. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, no. I don't want to meet with that. <clears throat> SOB. Hey, what do you say, folks? Here we go. Tuesday, Tuesday, July 31, last week, last day of July 2018. So good to see you today, and thank you for joining us on another day with a lot to uh, talk about. Down at the White House yesterday for the big news conference with uh, Prime Minister Giuseppe Conti, two months after he took office uh, in Italy, uh, he and uh, Donald Trump met first at the G7. They bonded. Donald Trump says they are soul brothers when it comes to uh, immigration. They're both hard asses uh, against illegal immigration, so Donald Trump invited him uh, to the White House to stand there as a potted plant while uh, Donald Trump gave a campaign speech about shutting down the government and building a wall. What else is new? That's uh, just one of, the, one of the big stories that uh, we will be covering today as we join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., also talking about uh, the latest Paul Manafort. That trial starts today in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, not dealing with Russia, but with his all the money he made in Ukraine, and uh, according to Robert Mueller, all the money he did not report making in Ukraine. So lots of stuff to talk about. Look forward to hearing from you about it all. And, of course, Rudy Giuliani now has changed the latest uh, defense of Donald Trump's actions vis-a-vis -vis Russia He's uh, yet a third line of defense saying collusion, if it happened, was not a crime. This is a big step from saying there was no collusion. All of that coming up. Your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill. Yes. Have you heard the story of Miss Helen? 
Miss Helen, the 16-inch female horn shark at the San Antonio Aquarium was stolen over the weekend. Get out. Two men How could and a woman. I'm going to tell you, this is amazing. They're in the aquarium, and there's a like a pet, a place where you can reach and like touch the animals, right? You've been to aquariums, you can mm -hmm. do that. They have stingrays sometimes. One of them is a, a young female horn shark. They don't bite, and you can pet a shark. Well, these three people took the shark out of the tank, wrapped it in a blanket, put it in a, a bucket, and then put it in a stroller and walked out of the aquarium. The shark was gone. Oh, my God. Gone. God. They caught the whole thing on surveillance, but the good news is yesterday they caught the bastards. They got the people that stole Miss Helen. And is Miss Helen okay? Miss Helen is fine. Miss Helen is back at the aquarium. What did they do? Put her in the bathtub when they well, got her they home? They did. So they they said that the police, when they found these people <coughs> in the garage, they had set up sort of a mini aquarium with a big pool for Miss Helen to swim around and they could keep the shark. They're still not totally sure what they wanted to do with the shark. But they actually successfully took the shark out of the aquarium, brought it home, put it into a pool. And when they found him yesterday, Chief Joseph Salvaggio from the San Antonio Police Department said, Miss Helen's doing fine. The shark is in very good condition, uh, luckily. Luckily, everything's fine. All right, good. I, I love a story like that with a happy ending. Walk into yes. an aquarium and steal a shark. I wish the shark would have bitten their leg off. I do too, man. I was yeah. rooting for the shark for sure. By the way, if you've gone to a professional sporting event uh, recently, you've probably noticed that it's a little pricey. It's a little pricey to go, and then once you're there, they charge you a lot of money for beer and for snacks and all that type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, like the Eagles concert at Nat Stadium. That's sure. pretty pricey. Sure. <laughs> well, at, at, at sporting events, the Atlanta Hawks said they are yes. going all in on fan experiences. Here's what they're charging fans for concessions this season. For chips, $1. For candy, pretzels, and bottled water, $2. For fries, hot dogs, and nachos, $3. For pizza, bottomless popcorn and bottomless soda, $4. And for beer, 5 bucks. Well, that, that means you can afford to take your family to a game. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, Good right? Them. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Breaking news. We start this day, Tuesday, July 31, with breaking news. Rand Paul says he's going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, my God. Shock. I can't believe it. Shock. Shock. God. We spotted that phony a long time ago. Remember, we told you. <laughs> there was no way Rand Paul was not going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. And, of course, remember, uh, Donald Trump paved the way by uh, adopting Rand Paul's idea of taking security clearances away from uh, anybody who had ever criticized him. Uh, and so that deal, we saw that one coming. What do you say, folks? we got a lot more breaking news to talk about today. It is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Tuesday, Tuesday, January, January, no, July, July 31. Great to see you, and thank you for joining us. As we boom out to you all across this country from, uh, you know where, our nation's capital, capital of the free world, Washington, D.C., and our studio right here in the heart of the action, just down the street from the United States Capitol, uh, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you also 
on Free Speech TV nationwide. And look at you on the radio out there in the greater Chicago area. Hello. Hello, 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 WCPT. And in Indiana, hello, Indiana Talks. Uh, we, as I mentioned, right down the street from the United States Capitol. Uh, I was at a little reception last night um, with uh, a good friend and I think a great senator from California, uh, the Honorable Kamala Harris. Um, she was um, looking good, sounded good, spoke well, and uh, had a little chance to uh, chat with her ahead of time. I got to tell you, based on my chat, I have no doubt that she is making, she's very serious about running for president in 2020, um, and she would be a dynamite candidate. So uh, keep your eye on Senator Kamala Harris from uh, from California. I would just say all the rumors, you know, that she's moving around and that she's um, getting into the right spots and adopting the right issues and taking the right stands, um, meaning that she might be thinking about 2020. I think, I think, I think those rumors, um, they look look pretty solid to me, uh, and she'd be great. So, uh, let, oh, by the way, this is really weird. You know, we start out, I mentioned several times, first thing I do, get up, pick up my phone, see what, what latest uh, tweets I've received from my new best friend, Donald Trump. Today, you won't believe this. Who he's taken on. It's not unusual for Donald Trump to start out by attacking somebody uh, with a brutal tweets. Uh, he does it all the time, right? That's his style. But you never know who's going to be in the line of fire. I never expected this one. To, to, this morning's tweets take on a new enemy. Here we are. He goes after with this tweet. There are two of them. There's the first one. The globalist Koch brothers. Yes, Donald Trump at war against the Koch brothers. The background here is because last weekend the Koch brothers had their big meeting where they get all their corporate friends together and, and raise gazillions of dollars for Republican candidates, of course. They never warmed up to Donald Trump during the, uh, during the, in 2016. They haven't been big fans, big closest. They spent a lot of money on Senate races, House races, not so much on the presidential race uh, because the you know, he's not their kind of Republican. Nobody's kind of Republican. Um, and um, so Donald Trump, and then last weekend when they got their corporate friends together, a spokesperson for the Koch brothers said they were a little dismayed by the disarray and the lack of progress out of the Trump administration. So that leads to this tweet this morning. The globalist, globalist Koch brothers, who have become a total joke in real Republican circles, are against strong borders and powerful trade. I never sought their support because I don't need their money or bad ideas. They love my tax and regulation cuts, judicial picks, and more. I made, uh, and then we have to go back to their next tweet, I made them richer. Their network is highly overrated. I have beaten them at every turn. They want to protect their companies outside the U.S. from being taxed. I'm for America first and the American worker, a puppet for no one. Two nice guys with bad ideas make America great again. <laughs> oh, so there he is. Don't you love it? Uh, <clears throat> the Republicans, like Democrats used to do, forming a circular firing squad here. 
uh, <laughs> with a, yeah, you know what? Let Donald Trump and the Koch brothers getting a getting a pissing match, and we can just stand on the sidelines and and uh, and and watch them destroy each other, uh, and hope they both lose. Now, yesterday, boy, what an event down at the White House yesterday. Um, Donald Trump welcoming the new prime minister of Italy, Giuseppe Conti, a uh, conservative and a man who ran on immigration, uh, illegal immigration in Italy is getting out of control. We got to do something. It is a serious problem. They're, they're really on, they are really on the front lines, of course, of, of immigrants and refugees come pouring into Western Europe, a lot of them through Italy. Uh, at any rate, Donald Trump, they met at the G7 meeting, uh, bonded, and uh, Donald Trump invited him to the White House. So they had their meeting yesterday, and then, uh, as sort of the standard is, they had a joint news conference. I got to tell you, so I was there in the East Room of the White House. It was pretty embarrassing, I thought. Embarrassing for the Prime Minister of Italy, who just stands, stands there. Donald Trump starts out, and he starts out with a campaign speech. He said, you know, first of all, he said, I want to welcome my new best friend to the White House. <laughs> uh, you'll be proud of me. I behaved. But I wanted to laugh out loud because it's like everybody, every time he meets anybody, they're suddenly his new best friend, right? Kim Jong-un was his new best friend. Vladimir Putin was his new best friend. Theresa May, after he slammed her in an interview with the, with the son, comes out, he, he gets together and says, oh, we're, we're best friends now. You know, same thing with Angela Merkel, da, 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 da. So yesterday, for the day and for the moment, his new best friend was the prime minister of Italy. Um, and, and Donald Trump, as I said, he just started out, and he started out saying a campaign speech about building the wall and shutting down the government. Here, here's Donald Trump, big announcement. Shut down the government. I'm for it. Yes. That's how, that's how he started out. As far as the border is concerned, and personally, if we don't get border security, after many, many years of talk within the United States, I would have no problem doing a shutdown. It's time we had proper border security. Uh, you know what I love the most about him? It's just the way he puts words together, doing a shutdown. Yeah. Doing a shutdown? No, I know. <laughs> We're going to be doing a shutdown. We're going to be doing a shutdown. Shut, I mean, you... No, particularly uh. when you see him when he is not reading from a script. Right. And just, you know, being Donald, being Donald. Uh, by the way, you could count on one finger the number of Republicans on Capitol Hill who are happy to hear that news. I doubt it. I don't even think. It'd be hard to find even one. Right. Right? I mean, because Donald Trump was talking about a shutdown in September with the midterms looming and Republicans control the entire government and then shut it down because they can't get anything done, which is sort of like admitting they can't get anything done. So they, they shut it down. Absolute it is power. insane. Totally insane. At least a few people were willing to say that yesterday. Richard Shelby uh, from Alabama. None of us want to shut down the government, uh, Democrats or Republicans. No one wins. I think the American people expect us to do our job and should. 
Yeah, damn right we do. Uh, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina climbing on board as well. It'd be bad politics for the Republican Party to shut the government down. Would get blamed, and it seems to me there's a way to get wall funding and deal with the DACA population. But again, just the idea that Donald Trump would choose this setting. Here he is in a, in a conversation, negotiations, a diplomatic meeting with the prime minister of Italy to talk about things that these two countries have in common, uh, how they can help each other with national security, on how to, with trade issues, you name it, right, on immigration, of course. And instead, Donald Trump chooses this occasion to say, I'm going to shut down my government. And our prime minister is just like, I kept looking at him. He's just standing there you know, with his little bud in his ear so he can hear the translation. And I'm thinking like, so what's it feel to what's it feel to play the role of a potted plant today? Because <laughs> that's kind of all he was. He was just uh, you know up there while Donald Trump ignored him. Well, you know, ignored him and made a speech about shutting down the government. Part of part of what I do right is pull the audio that we use. You notice there's not any audio of the prime minister. Of Italy. There's nothing. He didn't say anything. He didn't say. Anything. He hardly had a chance to say anything. Yeah. Even when questions were asked to him and he would give a little answer. Donald Trump would jump in and give his <laughs> opinion on it. So that was one of the things they said yesterday. The other is <coughs> the question was, by the way, you know, the, the way these things work, there are two questions for the president of the United States and two questions for the prime minister, and, and, nobody else, and then nobody else gets to ask anything. But I was disappointed. There was no question about Michael Cohen uh, at all. Uh, no question about meeting with Robert Mueller. No question about Paul Manafort. Uh, no question about Karen McDougal or Stormy Daniels. Uh, so the first question was about immigration. That that prompted the uh, shutdown of government. Um, the second question was about um, whether he would meet with, okay, you met with Kim Jong-un. Whether would you meet with the president of Iran? Here's President Trump. I'm ready to meet anytime they want to. And I don't do that from strength or from weakness. I think it's an appropriate thing to do. How about uh, would there be any preconditions beforehand? It's good for the country, good for them, good for us, and good for the world. No preconditions. If they want to meet, I'll meet. Uh, now, you know, we're, we're mixed on earth. I know. It's crazy. By the way, if he does, if he has, he has met with Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin, I mean, yeah, Sure. Yeah, he should meet with President Rouhani of Iran. I'd rather have a meet with President Rouhani of Iran than have what John Bolton wants, which is send in the Marines, right? Um, so diplomacy is good. The problem is with these meetings with Donald Trump, they're just meetings. There's nothing that happens at these meetings. Uh, North Korea, what do we find out? Donald Trump says this uh, whole, thi whole thing is resolved as of this point. We don't have to worry about North Korea anymore. It's reported this morning that... Our satellites have picked up the fact that North Korea is building new missiles at the one site that they said they were going to shut down. So what was the result of that meeting? Again, there was no preparation that went into it, and nothing came out of it. Nothing. Not nothing. Nothing. Nothing bad, nothing positive, nothing. Meaning that is bad. Uh, same thing with the meeting with Putin. So going into a meeting with Rouhani just for the sake of a meeting— is not a good idea. But then Donald Trump goes off on this riff where he just talks about, here's the one thing he loves, 
He loves meetings. And what he's really saying, listen carefully, is he'll just meet with anybody, anytime, anywhere, because he just loves meetings. He loves the what? He loves the photo op. He lets all he wants is the photo of him shaking hands with somebody. So just try to follow this as he's saying about, here's what I think about meetings. I believe in meeting. Uh, the prime minister said it better than anybody can say it. Speaking to other people, especially when you're talking about potentials of war and death and famine and lots of other things, you meet. There's nothing wrong with meeting. We met, as you know, with Chairman Kim, and it, uh, you haven't had a missile fired off in nine months. We got our prisoners back. So many things have happened so positive. But uh, meeting with people, I had a great meeting, in my opinion. Of course, the fake news didn't cover it that way, but I had a great meeting with President Putin of Russia. I think oh, it was a great okay. meeting. Okay, okay. Meeting, 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 Maybe, maybe, maybe. Robert Mueller, he'd like a meeting. He's asked for a meeting. You haven't said yes to that one. <laughs> and he never will. You know why? Because there is a precondition to that meeting. The precondition to that meeting is a precondition that Donald Trump could never meet. The precondition to the meeting with Robert Mueller is that Donald Trump tell the truth. Not, uh, okay, so. That's a tough precondition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe they'll have a retake of the news conference today when Donald Trump will say, yeah, meetings, meetings. I love meetings. I'll meet with anybody. Anytime. Hey, up, 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 up. Except that Robert Mueller, the guy leading the uh, leading uh, the witch hunt. Uh, speaking of the witch hunt, this is fascinating what happened yesterday. Wanna, here's a quick clip from Rudy Giuliani. So he's talking about the fact that the Paul Manafort trial begins today in Alexandria, Virginia. Now, this is Paul Manafort, the first of two trials, but this is in Virginia on th 35 charges of bank fraud, money laundering, and tax charges, all kind of related. And generally, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the charges that he made over $60 million uh, in Ukraine, by the way, that's for running campaigns in Ukraine, that's a lot of money. He milked those guys. He bilked them, man. He took them to the cleaners. $60 million, and that, pardon me, he reported he laundered a lot of that money through all kinds of places, and then he re reported a lot less than that and paid taxes on a lot less than that. So that's that's the gist of what's happening here with Paul Manafort. Uh, and by the way, so jury selection starts today. Um, 35 witnesses uh, that Robert Mueller has lined up, including um, our friend who was J Bernie Sanders' chief strategist, Tad Devine, who somehow had had some business relations with Paul Manafort, and he's one of the witnesses for the prosecution. Um, at any rate, that all starts today. So Rudy was talking, and that, that's has nothing to do with Russia. This is his, some of the people he was dealing with were Russian stooges, Ukraine politicians, Russian stooges, including Yukonovich, the former president. But this has not, this isn't, hasn't anything to do with Trump campaign, 
directly with Trump campaign and Russian connections, even though Paul Manafort was the campaign chairman. Those charges may come. That's the Robert Mueller investigation. You know, there's a great documentary on Netflix called Get Me Roger Stone. And it, oh, at times yeah. it can get a little too glowing of, of Roger Stone. But there's a there's a section of the documentary where they talk about the it really puts Paul Manafort in in proper context of what he did to create the current political system, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. He and mm-hmm. Roger Stone essentially like created these the blueprint for these packs and super packs and funneling money, and they know what they're doing with money. And there's there's not much of an indictment inside that documentary about what he's done, but it gives you a little bit of a background of. Yeah. This is a guy uh, that knows how to move money around. Oh, yeah. And he knows how to uh, live the high life, too. Oh, yeah. Make man. a lot of money and spend a lot of money. So, at any rate, that's the Manafort trial. So, Rudy was talking about it yesterday, pointing out that the spotlight's going to be sort of on Manafort for a while and not about collusion. But listen to what he says. What I'm saying is, he was never involved in intimate business relationships with Donald Trump. I mean, that's just four months. They're not going to be colluding about Russians. <laughs> which I'm not even know if that's a crime, colluding about Russians. Whoa. So that was a new take by Rudy Giuliani yesterday, which he repeated on several. He was all over. The, we mentioned that uh, during our show because we were watching the, uh, the monitors yesterday morning during the show that Rudy Giuliani kept popping up on every cable network, making the same point. Collusion is not a crime. Now, notice, this is important. This is really significant. Because this is the third line of defense by Donald Trump and his stooges about what happened between the Trump campaign and Russia during the 2016 election. If you recall, the first line of defense was, what meetings with Russians? There were no meetings with Russians. Nobody around me met with any Russian whatsoever. That was, Donald Trump said that over and over again. Hope Hicks, spokesperson for the campaign at the time, said that. First line, there were no meetings. Well, then suddenly we hear about, hmm, Jeff Sessions met with uh, the ambassador. Oh, yeah, Michael Flynn. Yeah, he was having conversations with the ambassador. Oh, yeah, Jared Kushner met with some Russian. Oh, oh, then Donald Trump Jr. Oh, then there was this big meeting at Trump Tower. And so suddenly (laughs) all these meetings pop up and we go to line number two which is the line that's been like for the last year or so, Donald Trump. How many times have we heard him say? He says it like if he breathes in and breathes out and says, no collusion. Remember? No collusion. So, yes. So, second line, follow us now. No meetings from no meetings to, of course, there were meetings, innocent meetings, but no collusion. No collusion. No collusion. No collusion. Now, you just heard it. The new line is from Rudy Giuliani yesterday. Well, if there was any collusion... It's not a crime. So there's a little shifting defense, right? Yeah, there might have been collusion, but it's not a crime. How far we've come from, there were no meetings whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And so you know what the next line is going to be? Yes, it was a crime, but you can't charge the president of the United States because he is above the law. And as Brett Kavanaugh pointed out, he can't be distracted by messy things like lawsuits or subpoenas or legal charges, right? So <laughs> it, it's been a moving target on the part of Rudy Giuliani. 
And by the way, just you've heard me say this before. I mean, I think the biggest mistake Donald Trump made so far since the campaign, certainly, was hiring Rudy Giuliani as his big mouth on TV because every time Rudy Giuliani speaks, he makes things worse. What we caught up with happened with, in addition to saying yesterday, just uh, introducing this clever new defense, if you will, bizarre new defense, that collusion is not a crime. Rudy Giuliani yesterday said about that meeting on the famous, infamous meeting, we should call it, on June 9 at Trump Tower, where the Russian operative came in to meet with, to, to deliver dirt on Hillary, a meeting set up by Donald Trump Jr., where Michael Flynn attended, Jared Kushner attended. I think Paul Manafort was there, I'm a little fuzzy on that. But at any rate, Rudy Giuliani yesterday suddenly announced on CNN at 8 o'clock yesterday morning, he had done Fox and Friends earlier, then he went to CNN. He suddenly announced that, talked about the fact that there was an earlier meeting, a pre-meeting on June 7, two days earlier, by the Trump team, the ones I mentioned, to prepare for the June 9 meeting. So there was a pre-meeting. Uh, and nobody ever heard of this before. Rudy just put it out there. And that suddenly, everybody started buzzing. Oh, my God, what is this? I mean, it was the second meeting. We didn't even know about this, a pre-meeting, a whole thing. And then Rudy Giuliani at noon calls Fox News. What that, that show's called? Outnumbered, I think, or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he sets it up, calls into Fox News to say, I said something earlier on CNN which wasn't true. The meeting, that earlier meeting never happened. Uh, he said, uh, just a couple of reporters had mentioned it to me, the possibility that there might have been one, which was a pretty weak excuse for saying, I really blew it. Now, you you can, you can guess as well as I can what happened between 8 a.m. and noon. I'll tell you what happened. You know who, you know who was watching him on television early in the morning. And that's you all who, he does early in the morning is watch TV. That's all he does. And you know who heard him say something that he didn't want Rudy to admit, that he didn't want anybody to know about it. And whether or not, we don't know whether there was that earlier meeting or not, but Donald Trump certainly didn't want that word out there. He called Rudy and said, you better clear this up. And Rudy immediately finds a way to do so and how else to do so but tuning in to Fox News, of course. Yes, uh, so uh, we'll see how the ball bounces there with Rudy Giuliani and the latest on the Mueller investigation. Yeah, the thing about Rudy and Trump, which they clearly have a weird relationship, I mean, it's not like Trump is going to get rid of them. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that they couldn't find a lawyer to represent them. Yeah, So right. if he was to get rid of Rudy, then what? Right? I don't know. Hire Lanny Davis? Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I'll pay you more than Michael sure. Cohen does. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yes, and finally, we do have to mention a surprise, a shock of shock of shocks today is that uh, Rand Paul announced yesterday he is going to vote for uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, yeah. You know. It, Comical. The only thing that surprises me is that it took this long. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, when, when that happened, we told you, don't believe it. Don't believe a word he says. This is the game that Rand Paul always plays. I'm so independent. I'm so tough. I think for myself, I'm just not just a Donald Trump puppet. 
and then he jumps up in his lap every every single time. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, so uh, I can't say I told you so because you knew as well as I did that that was BS from the first moment that uh, Rand Paul said it. You see what I mean? Big day, big day. We didn't get half to half of it yet. We got a great lineup of guests. Uh, Zach Beecham from Vox will be joining us a little bit later to look at the foreign policy front. Alex Seitzwald from NBC News here to look at the uh, political situation. And we start out with John Bennett, our good friend from Roll Call, uh, covers the White House for Roll Call, was there with me at the news conference yesterday and all the stuff that uh, Donald Trump and uh, Giuseppe Conte did talk about or didn't talk about. Coming up next, quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 31. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thanks again for joining us and being part of the program. And look forward always to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, joining us in studio from Roll Call, covering the White House for Roll Call, um, John Bennett. Hi, John. Good hey, to see you. Thanks for having me. We were uh, both at the news conference yesterday with uh, Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte from uh, Italy and President Trump. So um, what I didn't uh, pick up, uh, John picked up, I'm sure. So between the two of us, <laughs> we can bring you up to date on that, all the other news of the day. As we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Every, see, I, every time we have a firehouse right around the corner here. Every time I see them roll by, I think of uh, what a great job they do protecting our communities all across this great nation. Uh, the members of the Firefighters Union under President Harold Schaitberger uh, protecting American families every day. Check out their website at iaff.org. Uh, Peter, what's up? Peter? Since we started. Yeah, we got some comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. <laughs> First of all, before we get into the comments from this morning, we got a couple of comments. From last night, because you tweeted out the photo of Kamala Harris. Oh, uh, oh, some, yeah. some comments on that. Renteria says she has my vote. Also, uh, another comment says Warren Harris 2020. Elizabeth oh, Warren, Kamala whoa. Harris, twenty twenty. That's a uh, boy. That'd be a powerful team. That's a powerful team. That's yeah. a powerful team. So some comments from this. Although I do think that um, Senator Harris might have her eye on. <laughs> the top of the yeah, ticket, yeah. not necessarily. I don't think she's running for vice president Fair. if she runs. Fair. Uh, Matt she's Maz great, though. I love her. Matt Mazenzi says, uh, it's time to face the facts. Trump and the Republican majorities are illegitimate <laughs> occupiers of our government. And Tom actually brings up something I've said many, many times when we talk about moving the goalposts, which Rudy Giuliani tried to do yesterday. Uh, Tom says the next line is, it was a crime, but it was necessary in order to keep Hillary out of the White House. <laughs> which I've said, like, that, that is going to be the final argument about this. Like, they will eventually get there, and they will eventually win that argument. They do keep move, moving the goalposts. Totally. If but. you have a comment on any topic at any time, remember you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. So, John, interesting. Thank you, Peter. Interesting uh, news conference yesterday but between the two, uh, the, two, the, the two leaders. It was, at times, almost as if uh, Prime Minister Conte was not there. It really was. Uh, I, we were talking before we came on here. I caught some clips last night, and you don't catch everything when you're in the room, though I caught his eye a few times as he was – there were times he was like us. He was kind of a spectator as the president was, was going on and on, and uh, as, as President Trump does when he gets rolling, he, he keeps rolling. And, yeah, Conte was just – he was kind of there. I was struck 
you know, I in in hearing about how he came to power and and preparing for yesterday, um, you know, a lot of the coverage even in Italy is he's 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 not, he's out of the mold of a conventional politician, and he's kind of like Trump. He's a populist, and they're going to be you know two peas in a pod up there. He seemed pretty conventional yesterday. Yes, he talked you know about um, you know being tougher on 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 Europe, and um, he it was a populist message, but. It, it was not like the gentleman standing uh, beside him. Uh, no. And when he started, uh, you know, the first thing, it was, to me it was like Conte was the potted plant while Donald Trump was giving a campaign speech because he started out um, saying, vowing to shut down the government. Right. right. Uh, Double if we can yep. hear him again for those who weren't uh, with us earlier, um, that, that was his pledge. He had made the pledge before, but this was his opportunity to do it, you know, in a, an international audience, if you will. As far as the border is concerned, and personally, if we don't get border security, after many, many years of talk within the United States, I would have no problem doing a shutdown. It's time we had no. proper border security. Again, I was looking at Conte thinking, <laughs> hey, dude, what do, you, what do you think of this, right? Yeah, in, in Italy, somewhere like Italy, anywhere in Europe, a government shutdown would be a huge deal. It, and it, it's a big deal here. It would be a bigger deal uh, there. I did see, you know, he raised his eyebrows a couple times looking at, you know, some of the members of his own press corps and his own staff. Um, but, you know, the president on Sunday ish, uh, fired off his tweet. Um, and, you know, guys like me kind of had to stop what we were doing and, and, and file immediately that he would shut down the government if he doesn't get uh, all or some. It's still not clear exactly what he wants. And on the border wall, which is part of his demands here, um, immigration and border security, um, some kind of package here. He's, he hasn't gotten the package yet, hasn't gotten the deal. You know, the grand fiscal bargain eluded President Obama, and it looks like this grand immigration bargain is is kind of the same thing for Trump. He just can't get there. Um, and he won't, you know, he didn't lay down a number yesterday on, right, on the border right. wall. How much does he need this year? Um, the, the, there's a, the House spending bill has $5 billion, The Senate, uh, Senate's bill, $1.6 billion, And Richard Shelby, chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, and others have gone to the White House repeatedly over the last month or two to tell the president this is all that can get through the Senate because Democrats have the vote, the votes to block anything more. But he's not having it, at least not yet. But the idea for Republicans, and, and Senator Shelby was one of those who spoke out yesterday, that in the middle of the midterms, I mean in the heat of the midterms, in September, when the Republicans control everything, that Donald Trump would shut down the government would be a political disaster. It would. Uh, it, uh, and <laughs> that, at some, so at some point, and he's he's done this before. He has said before, right. I'll shut down the government if I don't get what I want. And then he ended up signing the bill. But he said, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. So. He did. Uh, uh, the House is out. Uh, it's August yeah. recess for them. The Senate is in uh, this week. Uh, they're out next week. And then they're apparently coming back. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but the senators rolled back in yesterday for some votes. And they were the Republican senators were not happy. Um, you know, John Thune, he's a member of the leadership team. You mentioned uh, uh, Senator Shelby and others, you know, saying somewhat bluntly without, you know, they try to not criticize Trump when they're criticizing Trump. 
Um, Thune, one of his his lines was, I just don't know where the president's coming from here. And, he, and you know, not mentioning the midterms, but kind of mentioning him saying, um, we have no interest mm. in a shutdown. And he and saying it would be bad for for the Republicans, it would be bad for the president. Um, this is what this is what Trump does. If you go back and you talk to folks from his business life, if you you know read some of the art of the deal, if if you you read some of the articles that were written over the years about how he negotiates, this is this is what he does. And let's think back to to North Korea and 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 Kim Jong Un. Um, we saw it with Iran last week. You know, uh, last week he's threatening uh, right. Hussani with you know consequences that no one has ever felt in history. And yesterday, as we sat there in the East Room, he basically invited uh, Iranian leaders for for a summit with no preconditions. They don't have to do anything but show up. So this is what he does. He makes a bold statement. And then he tries to get people to negotiate what, or to so, the table. Uh, Peter, the, the one where he starts riffing about meetings, you know, I mean, he's off script. He's just saying, he said, I'll meet with any time, anybody. I love meetings. I love meetings. I Here, believe yeah. in meeting. Uh, the prime minister said it better than anybody can say it. Speaking to other people, especially when you're talking about potentials of war and death and famine, famine and lots of other things, you meet. There's nothing wrong with meeting. We met. As you know, with Chairman Kim, and it, uh, you haven't had a missile fired off in nine months. We got our prisoners back. So Not many exactly, things have happened so positive. But uh, meeting with people, I had a great meeting, in my opinion. Of course, the fake news didn't cover it that way, but I had a great meeting. <laughs> uh, we with, get the point. How many times? Meetings. I, I love meetings. I love meeting anytime, anywhere, anybody. I forgot uh, to get the counter you, started. Of how many times he said meet or meeting in that sentence or in that in that. Yeah, uh, this is sort of like so. About how 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 much you love me? He says, of course, you meet with President Rouhani with no conditions at all. No conditions. No, no preconditions. Yeah. Uh, apparently, and this is what I, I wrote a piece uh, late yesterday afternoon. You know, he'll meet with Kim, he'll meet with Hussani, he'll meet with anybody except Robert Mueller. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I wrote, uh, I kind of put on my analysis hat and wrote, you know, maybe the president's going to regret that, and we are going into a political season with the midterms. It seemed to me like he might have handed Democrats, uh, you know, a thirty-second ad there. You know, the president says he'll meet with anyone. Why won't he? There's one, the one man on the planet he won't sit down with is the man investigating um, investigating him and his campaign associates and his family who worked on the campaign. Well, I didn't see your story yet, but um, we know that for that meeting with Robert Mueller, there would be one precondition um, that he would have to take us swear to tell the truth. <laughs> And uh, unlike the other meetings, right? So right. maybe maybe that's <laughs> the one difference and the one thing that would prevent him from meeting with Robert. Well, that is what his legal team is concerned about, that he would either not tell the truth or, I mean, we see it every day with the president. He, he It's just kind of the way he, you said riffs. He, he kind of riffs about things. It's stream of consciousness. He contradicts himself. He talks himself in into corners or awkward uh, situations, and by all accounts, there's one guy you don't want to do that with, and it's Robert Mueller. Yeah. So that's right. you know the push pull of Trump maybe wanting to prove that he could go in there and do it, and his legal team being concerned that he would get himself in in hot water. Now you and I uh, were uh, talking at the at the uh, out before the news conference began yesterday, uh, while we're waiting to go into the East Room, 
about Rudy Giuliani's bizarre behavior. It's always bizarre, but particularly yesterday, the story keeps changing about, and Rudy is often the one who keeps changing the story. So they're lying about the, the whole Russian collusion question, not to mention obstruction of justice, which Mueller's also looking into. But on the collusion, so it has gone from right after, uh, even in 2016, already in 2016, no, there are no meetings, no meetings, nobody, none of us, none, nobody around me ever met with anybody from Russia. Well, then when all these evidence of all these meetings popped up, then it went to, oh, yeah, there was a meeting, but they were innocent meetings. There was no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, until yesterday, and suddenly Rudy Giuliani adds a third line of defense, which is, well, even if there was collusion, it, collusion is not a crime. Right, right. It's, I mean, out of it's moving the goalpost. Right. I'm not sure where uh, uh, Rudy was moving the goalpost yesterday. At, at one point, I think they were out of the stadium, and then he had to he had to drag them back in. He had to get on the phone with Fox and drag them back into the stadium. Yeah, um, yeah collusion is not a crime. He's he's right about that. But that that legal experts say that's not what anyone involved here would be charged with. They would be charged with you know conspiracy or making false statement to federal officials, or the big one for the president, obstruction of justice. Mm, yeah. So yeah. so he's technically right. And, you know, you get this sense sometimes that to the extent that Rudy has a strategy, that he's just trying to confuse everyone sometimes. I confess to being confused when he called back into Fox. Now, I was doing something else. I was getting ready for the press conference, and it, we had it on uh, at the White House uh, in the background. Several of us were listening, and— we were all confused at the end of that segment, and he also brought up that there was and, a and just, pre-meeting. Just, 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 just butt in there because we talked about this a little earlier. So on eight, at eight o'clock in the morning on CNN, he says there was a pre-meeting right. to the June nine meeting with Donald Trump Jr. at Trump Tower, which is the first time I'd ever heard of anything like that. I think any of us had. And then he calls into Fox four hours later to say, "No, I got that wrong." Who knows what's going on here? I mean, it's really it, it's it, we don't know if Rudy is you know just kind of running a smokescreen campaign where again he's trying to confuse everyone. Is he trying to plant doubt, um, you know, within w within the public? Because if this if Mueller doesn't bring criminal charges or or doesn't recommend you know something like impeachment, the ultimate decision would be with House Democrats should they take control of that chamber. Um, and then they could start impeachment proceedings. And th that's a political decision that, that Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and others would have to make. Um, and they would they would have to think about public perception of all this. And maybe Rudy's trying to influence that. Or maybe there is maybe there are things that that the president and his camp haven't been completely honest about. And Rudy is just trying to get them out there. Yeah. All of this assumes that Rudy has a strategy and knows what he's doing. That's true. Which I'm not even convinced of. Right? I, I've heard that before. <laughs> uh, and uh, and But to the extent that he does, I think that Giuliani has admitted that part of their goal is to sow doubt in the minds of the public mm -hmm. so that whatever Mueller comes up with, at least the Trump base and maybe another percentage of Americans will um, question, you know, the veracity, the authenticity, whatever, or the credibility of a, of a Robert Mueller. And, and 
So that, that they're trying deliberately to work the jury ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's clear. And you, you add on to that the president's <laughs> tweets and some of the statements yeah. that he's made. They're clearly just trying to, to ding the investigation. I mean, the, the president called it an illegal scam over the weekend in one tweet. He's saying that right. it was founded on a false pretense, which we know it wasn't, but that's something the president is pushing. So, yeah, you've yeah. got this one-two punch, so, bad cop, bad cop act that, mm. that Rudy and the president are doing. So a couple of other White House-related issues. Um, this is, I believe, today or this week at any rate, the first anniversary of John Kelly as uh, chief of staff. Who's the chief of staff today? Uh, Donald Trump. I would say Donald <laughs> Trump is the chief of staff. Uh, maybe uh, co-chief of staff is Bill Shine. Uh, the new his title is deputy chief of staff for communications, but he's the yeah. communications director. Um, John Kelly, you might have seen him kind of lurking yesterday in the. I East did. Room. I noticed. Yeah, but he he does that. He does that. But um, it's unclear um, just how much uh, sway that that John Kelly has right now. He's, he looks like he's almost given up. At times, the body language will tell you that. Uh, we used to reporters used to hear. More from 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 John Kelly, um, he does seem to have have slid down the totem pole, if you will. Uh, but President Trump has has mused to his friends that if Kelly did go, uh, why do I need a chief of staff? I'll I'll just do that. So um, it was always I predicted that it was not going to go well when he when he moved mm, Kelly over mm-hmm. from DHS. It just did not seem like you know you would put a, a Marine general beside Donald Trump, and you wouldn't have this, mm. again, almost inevitable clash of personalities. And John Kelly's a big personality. Um, but he, you know, the 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 Rob Porter incident, the, the staff yeah, secretary right. who had to leave because of the, uh, the allegations. Domestic from abuse. The right. domestic abuse allegations. That really weakened Kelly. And how Kelly handled it yeah. in, in the days after, that really weakened Kelly. He's never been the same from that. So and the president was upset. About how Kelly handled it. Does he leave, and or does he stay? And if so, why? I, I, I we, you sense from time to time that it might be coming, and then you know Helsinki happened, and they, there was there there were whispers that they didn't want another scandal, so Kelly stays, and then um, you know you have child separation before yeah. that, they don't want another scandal, and Kelly stays. Um, you know, They'll if they get never be a good time. I was going to say, if, that, if that's their logic, <laughs> God, he's going to be there forever. Right. Well, you know, you could have, uh, depending on how the rest of this week goes, uh, with Congress out, um, you know, we've we've got a Friday coming up. And um, as of right now, there's not, uh, I believe there's not a lot on the president's schedule Friday. And uh, one-year anniversary is kind of a clean it's a clean break. I did this for a year. I, you know, I served my country, um, and that's Kelly's line. You know, he's not there to serve the president. He's not there to manage the president. He's there to manage the staff and serve his country. Um, and a one-year anniversary sure is a uh, sure is kind of just a clean spot to leave or to begin leave it's, to announce that you're transitioning yeah. out. Right. Um, the president is it's following his tweets as we do. It's not unusual to see him take off against somebody. Um, early in the morning, usually, uh, and uh, in a in a personal attack. But I must admit, I was a little surprised at this morning's target. This morning's target, uh, not Nancy Pelosi, not Chuck Schumer, not crying Chuck, <laughs> or not crooked Hillary. Right. The Koch brothers. 
Donald Trump basically declaring war against the Koch brothers. Said I never, I never sought their support. I never needed their support. Two good guys with bad ideas. And uh, <laughs> what, yeah. what, what triggered this? And what's going on? Oh, he, yeah. said, he also calls them a joke. Says they it's become a, total a joke. joke. Yeah, total in, joke. And it says they're they're soft on border security. They're soft on trade. Yeah. Um, I was preparing to come over here and I dropped uh, dropped what I was doing and and had to to file a story uh, <laughs> as quickly as I could on that. Well, this goes back to the last few days. The Koch brothers uh, they have a, a donor retreat right now, or they right. did the last few days, <laughs> and they announced a sort of well uh, what what feels like a, a major shift and more distance between themselves and Trump. And they've never had a great relationship. They didn't you know, support Trump last time around. Right. 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 They didn't, they didn't put the, any of their, their dollars right. uh, toward Trump. And, and he's been lightly critical of them in the past, but trying to keep everything together. Well, that changed this morning. Uh, the Koch brothers announced, you know, that they realized that just pushing, you know, conservative only or Republican only ideas or legislation or you know solutions to problems is not sustainable and they're talking about bipartisan efforts uh, they're they are definitely distancing themselves from Trump using language at this retreat and in media interviews while not necessarily calling out the president making it clear that his style the brashness you know the crying chuck the nicknames the name calling that that's not what they want to be associated with and they announced uh, yesterday that they're not going to back Congressman um, um, Kevin Kramer, I believe, uh, in North Dakota. He's trying to unseat hmm. um, incumbent uh, Democrat there. Yeah. And they're not going to because his policies don't align with theirs. And he's not about solutions that are practical. And the president just taking umbrage with all of this this morning just, just kind of took his Twitter uh, blowtorch and right. what 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 relationship was there and what coordination was there um you gotta wonder now yeah. uh, I, I think we're gonna be careful this does not mean that the Koch brothers uh have become our allies or are just speaking now not welcome to you, the resistance for, <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> right you're right you're right yeah. you're right you're right no i mean they're still a very strong conservative force and they're i think their motivation is has always been I mean, they, they've said they want to get rid of EPA. They want to get rid of all environmental regulations. They're basically big oil guys, right? And uh, But but they never liked Trump's style. Right. In fact, in 2016, they put more of their money towards Senate and House races and mm-hmm. not not toward the presidential. So. Yeah. And he said, uh, the president said it, in, in another tweet this morning that he's made them richer and that they, yeah, like, they right. like his agenda. They like, you know, the federal judges that he's put on the court from sea to shining sea and the tax cuts and things like that. So- yeah, and I, as I wrote in my story, it really underscores how some Republicans feel. They're, they stuck with the president. They've stuck with the president this long because of the tax cuts, because of the judges, uh, because of the you know uh, removing the regulations and some of the other reforms they've made inside you know the federal apparatus. But they just don't like how he goes about it. They don't like. Um, the the Helsinki press conference performance. They don't like the name calling. Uh, so it is a real, there is a divide within the party and, and we're seeing it now. But but what, how how voters actually vote, even if they're uncomfortable with this, or, you know, we'll get a preview of that in November. Uh, just about a minute left, but we mentioned that John Kelly may be on his way out. Uh, the, the one, the, the people at the White House who seem to have staying power, uh, surprisingly perhaps, um, Ivanka and Jared, Javanka, or it looks like they're there to stay. 
It looks like it. You know, they're reporting over the weekend. Uh, the New York Times, yeah. our colleagues there, reporting that uh, you know Ivanka and Jared kind of uh, pulled back. I believe Donald Rumsfeld would have called it maybe a strategic pause. <laughs> and um, but now they're ready to to kind of step back out there. This does go back. This is directly linked to Kelly and rumors of his departure because Kelly, not so much sidelined Jared and Ivanka, but he let's say put them in a put them on a leash, put them yeah. in a box. Yeah, he yeah. he shrunk their portfolio so they right. weren't involved in everything. So they didn't, you know, they didn't see the boss. They didn't see the president. Um, you know, three, four, five, seven meetings a day, um, and he tried to instill a little discipline that that they weren't, you know. Of course, they got some power that others don't, right? That's I mean, right. He's yeah. not going to fire his daughter. I would not. Or I would not expect him to right. fire his daughter. Hey, John, I'm telling you, you got to run fast down there to keep up with it. You do a great job uh, at that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Roll call. It's CQRollCall.com. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Alex Seitzwald coming up next. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Breaking news, Rand Paul's going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that coming? Uh, we knew that was such a phony thing that Brian Paul put out there that he was undecided. What do you say, everybody? It, it He's pulled that trick before. It is a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 31. So good to see you today. Uh, for this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show, Coast to Coast, we're coming at you online, on the radio, on television, with all the news of the day. And as we often say, there is never a dull day in Trump world. Um, summer, winter, fall, doesn't matter. Uh, there's always lots to talk about. He keeps stirring the pot and uh, keeps us running to keep up with him. Uh, that's why we need the help of good friends like Alex Seitzwald from NBC News, who also does this full time. <laughs> and maybe between the two of us, we can sort things out. Hello, Alex. Good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thanks, Thanks for, having for coming me. in. I know I uh, can't wait to hear you've been on the road covering a lot of these races that we don't always get to talk about. Yeah, that's right? Uh, it's right. I was just out in Nebraska for the Kara Eastman uh, congressional race out there. She's really interesting. This is you know, pretty conservative district, and she's running yeah. as a full-on progressive. Okay. Uh, and then I was at the other end of that spectrum at the Third Way uh, Conference in Columbus where they're trying to, the, the centrists trying to reclaim the party just recently. Oh, my God. Yeah, danger, danger here. Centrists <laughs> trying to take over. Well, we want to hear uh, all about that. And the president is off to Florida today, too, uh, in an interesting appearance in a Republican primary. Right. Uh, take, take in the road. So lots to talk about on the political front. We want to hear from you, of course, what you care about, the races you care about, and the races you're watching, send us your comments on Twitter, 
at VP Show. Alex and I will jump right into it, but first, this Peter here. Is the full court press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, we talk a lot of negative, nasty news here uh, to these days. Here's a very, very positive story that really uh, is wonderful. Yesterday in Akron, Ohio, LeBron James opened up his I Promise School. It's a school that he wanted to build because he talked about how school helped him so much uh, with a lot of different reasons. So, like, how is this school different is the, is the, real, a, is the real question, right? A new school, a whole new a school? A whole new school. How is this oh. school different? Well, they, they talk about the wraparound services to help reduce stress that kids might feel when their parents are struggling financially. They address poverty head-on. They've given jobs to uh, parents of kids who lost their jobs. Uh, there are family and job services. There's a GED program. There's a food pantry from which they can shop and choose meal. And they've got help with housing. They also have given every single student a bicycle because LeBron James says when he was growing up, one way he used to get away from the more dangerous parts of his community was to get on his bike and ride, get away from them. So Good it's a really him. positive story. Him. And it's yeah. also... Part of me is just like, why can't we do this with all of our schools? We've got the money to do it. We should be doing this type of stuff with all of our schools. Uh, so it's a good, good move by LeBron James. I think it's really awesome that he did that. By the way, you have an iPhone. I have an iPhone. Yeah, Looks like Alex right has an iPhone. We all have iPhones, right? Uh, big news. Could happen as early as today. Apple is on the verge of becoming the first American company to be worth one trillion dollars shares are up more than 13 percent this year that is better than the overall market right now they are valued at 954 excuse me 945 945 billion dollars their stock would need to go up just another six percent to get to 202 dollars per share so they're getting very, very close to a trillion dollars. <laughs> be the o- that would be the only company in American history to ever reach that number. Crazy. Uh, but Crazy. It's uh, They've done a little better than Facebook has in the last Facebook week. is not <laughs> going to hit the trillion dollar mark. They have lost a lot of money the last week or so. Yeah, absolutely. They're going in the other direction. In the other direction. Yeah, Apple passed them on the way up, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> So, like, you know, Apple's going to have some new products here soon. That could be the thing that pushes them over. suckers like us will keep buying them. Damn right. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, my. Now we have a new defense. Uh, The White House now says, well, maybe there was collusion, but it's not a crime. That's a far cry from where they started, which was there were no meetings at all between uh, anybody around Donald Trump and the Russians. And then they said, well, yeah, there were meetings, but there was no collusion. Now we're saying, well, collusion is not a crime. By the way, I have to throw out there because he did tweet about this uh, D- just over, uh, the, over the break. Yeah, right. Reading directly from Donald Trump's Twitter feed, collusion is not a crime. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because there was no collusion. <laughs> Parentheses, except by crooked Hillary and the Democrats. Nice. That is that nice. is his that's latest nice touch tweet. at the end there. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So this is the new mantra uh, put out yesterday, first by Rudy Giuliani and now by the president himself. 
Uh, hello, everybody. We join you on this Tuesday, July 31, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, and our guest, Alex Seitzwald, political reporter for NBC News. Uh, hi, Alex. So the president, he's tweeting now like mad, but he leaves um, early this afternoon uh, for Florida, where he's picked a candidate in the Republican primary down there. Yeah, for governor. For governor, right. This is a, a, a stunning story. I mean, it, this just underscores how much Trump has really taken over the Republican Party. Uh, there was this guy, Adam Putnam, who was a kind of rising star Republican. Agricultural commissioner. Or Agricultural commissioner, yeah. right, elected yeah. uh, to his first office at 22. You know, in the, in the Jeb Bush kind of Marco Rubio wing, he was on the inside track and he was seen as a, a sure thing to be the next governor. Then this other guy, Ron DeSantis, who's a congressman, uh, he got in the race, but no one really gave him and much of a chance. All out Trumper. He's an all out Trumper. He goes on Fox News all the time to defend Trump from the Mueller investigation and you know the media, and he's just the the, the full on uh, Trump build the wall kind of guy. Trump comes in, endorses him, uh, and overnight almost the polls reverse course, donors reverse course, endorsements reverse course, and this this you know golden son Adam Putnam, who was thought to have the inside track, is now fading. To the point that even some of his allies are saying, you know, just throw it in. And this Trumpy Ron DeSantis guy is just going through the roof. So is this Donald Trump? Now, we've seen him before get involved in a primary. Right. Alabama? It did not work out so well for Trump. But I think things have changed. Uh, it, it, this year, 2018, Trump has grown into the presidency. He's, he's in his version of it at least, yeah. he's, he's kind of, you know, told the establishment to go uh, run up a tree and he's doing what he wants to be doing, and that his base seems to be responding to that. We've seen it in the polls, the Republican uh, Party is increasingly coalescing around Trump. He's at like 89, 90% approval rating, which is really high. And I mean, which is stunning in the, Repub in the, in the Republican Party. Yeah. But still, this is a guy that, that there's among Republicans a never Trump movement. Right. right. I thought we would still have a, it might be a small faction, but I thought there would still be a faction deep yeah, into the Trump yeah. administration of, you know, the, the, the never Trumpers, the people who refuse to hold out. And it just hasn't really happened. Um, so in Alabama, he endorsed the less Trumpy candidate, Luther Strange, over Roy Moore. It backfired. No one really believed it, you know, uh, that he really, that they everyone mm -hmm. thought that Mitch McConnell was making him do it. Now that he started endorsing the Trumpier candidates, uh, his success rate in these primaries has gone way, way up. Right. Um, and uh, so he, it's basically the Trump party now, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. We, we, uh, we're actually working on this big project at NBCnews.com, which I will promote, uh, yeah. coming out in September. And we're looking at how the parties have changed since the 2016 election. And on the democratic side, there's no question it's moved to the left. Uh, but on the Republican side, we are trying to figure out, you know, what's happened. And the, the overwhelming conclusion that we came to is that Trump has completely taken over the party and, uh, it's really become Trump's party. Um, has Donald Trump, uh, well, uh, there's a second state where he has intervened in a Republican primary, too, uh, successfully, and that's in Georgia. Right. Right. Wh which is a, a classic clash uh, between a, 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 the Trumper, Brett, I forget his name now. Uh, uh, Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp, right, yeah. Uh, again, uh, up against the Democrat. Stacey Steve, Abrams. Stacey Abrams. This is going to be one of the most interesting races of the year, I, I think. Uh, two candidates that could not be more clear contrasts on the issues. I mean, uh, this guy Brian Kemp is a, you know, uh, white middle-aged conservative who ran ads with 
he featuring him holding his guns. Uh, he pulled out chainsaws. He had a pickup truck, and he said, "I'm going to round up illegal immigrants and put them in my, oh, in right. my pickup yeah. truck." Uh, and I mean, the, the the guy that he just beat last week in the Republican runoff, who was the the, the quote unquote more establishment candidate. He was recorded on secret audio tape saying that that Republican primary had just become a battle of who can be the craziest. That those are those are his words. It's a Republican yeah. candidate. Huh. So there's so you have that guy, the the full on Trump, you know, gun loving guy, and then Stacey Abrams, who is, would be the black, the first black uh, female governor of any state in the country. She's running as a progressive in Georgia. Uh, she is you know for gun control. He's he's pro NRA. She's really spent her entire political career in Georgia promoting this theory that if we expand the base, expand the number of Democrats, we don't have to run to the middle and try to win over you know, soft Republicans. We can run as real mm-hmm. Democrats. Mm-hmm. She ran in the primary one in a landslide, and now we have this you know, giant contest of ideas. In, in Georgia, a red, to, heading I was purple, just gonna say, red where, state. Yeah, where is Georgia? A demog- not, I mean demographic, but politically, is it on the spectrum moving toward purple, or it's definitely moving towards purple? But it is Georgia. I mean, it's, you know, it's still it's, it's still Georgia. So yeah. it, it, uh, Hillary Clinton came closer to Donald Trump in Georgia than she did in Iowa, a state that Barack Obama won twice, which he right. didn't really succeed. Yeah, yeah. And that's all because Georgia has been diversifying really quickly. It's uh, I think about forty percent non-white or th- 35 40 percent non-white uh, a lot of african-americans are moving from other parts of the country to georgia because the economy is doing really well uh, atlanta has a long history of, of having more harmonious race relations than mm-hmm. a lot of other big cities including mm-hmm. in the north yeah so it's becoming this kind of optimistic uh you know very different place than we might expect georgia to be but i, I don't know if this is going to be the year that it really tips or uh, if it's going to take a few more years to get there well, it, it just underscores how important these governor's races are this year, particularly with reapportionment looming in 2020. Uh, so we've talked about Florida. We've talked about Georgia. Another one that I keep hearing about and and uh, had a conversation last night uh, at a little political book party event here in town uh, with a couple of people who are involved in Wisconsin. Mm. Uh, their take is that Scott Walker is a little shaky this time. I mean, this he's going for a third term. Yeah. Which, for anybody, is risky, right? As Pat Brown found in California yeah. before they made it two terms the limit. Uh, but in Wisconsin, there is no limit yet, so he's going for a third term. Uh, and um, someone told me last night that he's eight points behind. He, Scott Walker, incumbent. And we even had the, our uh, NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that we put out last week of uh, three Midwest states. We had him uh, a, a double digits, low double digits whoa. behind, and whoa. then uh, yeah. and a lot of people thought, "Whoa, that that's an outlier. That doesn't seem right." And then there was just yesterday this poll. I think it was uh, Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac that had Quinnipiac. Him eight points eight behind. Eight points down. That so, was it. So yeah, yeah he definitely, um, which is stunning. I mean, he not only has been elected twice, but he also survived that recall attempt. Remember when the yes, labor yes. folks were really energized? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they they, yeah. they thought they had a real shot. Uh, and uh, he has survived. The Republican Party there has been more united than it's been anywhere else in the country. He hasn't had to deal with the kind of Trumpy uh, establishment split that he has been the Republican Party there. He has been the Republican uh, Governor Association chairman, the guy in charge of electing other governors. So this would be a big turnaround uh, for Scott Walker. We don't have a, d- a Democratic nominee yet. The, there's a really crowded primary mm-hmm. uh, that takes place in August, I believe possibly early September. Um, but yeah, this is a, definitely something you watch. I mean, Trump is underwater in Wisconsin. 
uh, which a state he won, you know, after Hillary Clinton famously yeah, right. did not visit. Uh, but right, the governor's races are hugely important. I mean, as as you noted, under Barack Obama, Democrats lost a thousand state legislative seats. They were down to I think sixteen governorships, you know, out of fifty. So really, at a low watermark. Uh, that's bad news, obviously, but the good news is there's a lot of room to improve for them mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, one other important state, um, I think it's uh, we don't have to worry. We Democrats, I should say, don't have to worry too much about uh, California. California yeah. looks like it's uh, in the bag here. I think so. I think Gavin Newsom is uh, cruising to victory over John Cox, a Republican who no one ever gave much of a chance. But uh, the, in the in his first what is it month now on the you know in the general well he election. tried two or three times in Illinois, of course, to get elected That's statewide right. and didn't work. And so then he moved to California. And said maybe I can con them into it if I couldn't con the voters of of Illinois to do so. You you just mentioned you were out in Kansas, yeah, for a congressional race, yeah, with the, in uh, Nebraska, but also Kansas. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the, this is a the Omaha congressional seat. Uh, this is another race that I I think is going to be f- fascinating to watch for the uh, kind of a uh, stick your finger up and see where the mood of the country is heading. Uh, you know, progressives has always said we can win on progressive platform, even in places like Georgia or in Omaha, Nebraska. If we tell people this is what we believe, this is why it will be good for you, make the case, instead of being you know squishy in the middle. So Kara Eastman, who is a first-time uh, you know high-level candidate, beat the former Democratic congressman who represented this district, who was a pro-life, moderate, yes. blue dog. She beat him in the primary, and now she is running for the general election uh, against uh, the Republican incumbent, who's a, a an Air Force Brigadier General, you know, this is a formidable guy, but she's running as a, a, a med- full Medicare for all, uh, you know, f- gun control, full abortion rights. Just she is not tacking to the center. She is not. And it's in Omaha. And it's it? in Omaha. It, yeah, the district is uh, it's the only competitive district in Nebraska. It's, it's mm-hmm. Omaha and, and a little bit of the surrounding area. And she's got a real shot. Um, th- so I am uh, going to be watching that very closely. It'll be an interesting test case. You know, can. They, they, progressives finally have a shot to run on these issues in a swing area. Can they uh, win? And as I recall, her opponent—I forget his name—but he was the D Triple C right candidate. Right? They said this is the guy that we anoint for this, and she was sort of the Alexandria or Ocasio Cortez of Nebraska, exactly. Who said no? Right? We're, we 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 can win as progressives in this district, and she went and and she did so. That's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, the uh, Brad Ashford is his name. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was uh, backed by the DCCC officially, and um, they have not yet backed uh, Kara Eastman, which has caused some consternation uh, from progressives. But like when I was out there, but she won the primary. But she won the primary. Yeah, it was close, but she mm-hmm. but she won. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, they, what I've heard from them and other national Dems, they actually think she's pretty strong. And they, <clears throat> if they, they kind of figure if Brad Ashford, who's a one-term congressman, if he couldn't win that primary, he probably wouldn't, wasn't going to be very strong for the general election anyway. Uh, but the well, fact that they haven't supported her suggests there's still some hard feelings. Well, th- th- this is reflective of this whole uh, question about um, – Progressives versus establishment Democrats, I guess. And you're right. I mean, what I hear progressives saying is, we agree we cannot win in every single district, you know, like a Connor Lamb district maybe. But but, um, but we can win in a lot more districts than the mainstream Democrats think we can, right? right? And, and we'll go there and we'll 
organized and we've got the energy and we've got the momentum and we'll prove we can win. And we mentioned uh, Joe Crowley found that out in New York and Brad uh, Ashford found that out in Nebraska. What right. other, are, there, are there other races like that we should be watching where progressives are making a move? A, a, a strong stand? Definitely. There there are a few, and uh, we're still waiting on s- some primaries. Uh, but, you know, th- like uh, in Virginia's 5th Congressional District, which I think we might talk about uh, later on because it had a, 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 a Bigfoot-related— Oh, yes, related, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, the Bigfoot one, right. Yeah. Uh, but before all that, the, uh, the, there's uh, the, the, the Democrat who's running there is this woman, Leslie Coburn. She's a former journalist, and she is running you know, in a swing district as a full-on— uh, progressive mm-hmm. uh, in Kansas's third congressional district and Kansas's fourth, where Bernie Sanders and uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez actually just campaigned. Uh, mm-hmm. Still waiting on the primary, but very likely that we'll get you know a kind of full progressives running there. There's a couple of districts in in California, um, like Katie Hills, which I, I believe is the 25th. Um, she is also running as a full you know Medicare for all, full un- uh, uncut progressivism, you might say. And the theory here is you know they look at the numbers and they say. Uh, okay, we can't maybe win with just the Democrats who have always turned out in these elections, but the establishment candidates haven't necessarily always been able to win either. So instead of trying to get these people in the middle, let's mm-hmm. try to get our low propensity voters to, to actually turn out. And you know, if we lose, we'll at least be supporting the ideas that we support and we'll give our excite our, our base instead of uh, you know compromising to the middle. What, what do you mean by a full out progressive? I, well, I guess what are they running on? It's that's a very good so question. Radical. I, I mean, you know, radicals in the eye of the beholder. But uh, what I would say now, it, it, because we do, it, it kind of platform is taking shape. Uh, Medicare for all, and Medicare, by that's kind of the basic. That's the basic, and there's you know there's shades within Medicare for all, and I right. and, and I would say it's the full, it's the the it was formerly the Conyers bill, the full single payer health care bill, not a Medicare buy in. Not a lower the the mm-hmm. the age, but you know, full single payer health. But it is still a little gray, right? Meaning, right. If you say Medicare for all, you're for Medicare for all. You don't necessarily have to give all the specifics. You don't necessarily have to, but I I ask, <laughs> yes. and, oh. <laughs> uh, and I will, and I will, you yeah, know, yeah, and no, that, you and it's fine. It, it, but it, but it but it tell, it tells me something if if like Car Eastman, you are on the full single mm-hmm. payer train, right? Um, then uh, you know, debt free college, I would say is is high up there. Uh, supporting gun control, which can mean a whole bunch of different things, but you know, even talking about it is, right. is high up there. Right. Uh, f- supporting climate fully, change, cl- climate change, sure, yeah, uh, action. Basically, it's the Bernie Sanders agenda, twenty sixteen. It, you know, as much as uh, I think folks at the DCCC and the DNC and other places would wince to, to to say that, I think yes, that's right. It's essentially adopting, you know, debt free college, essentially adopting the uh, the Bernie Sanders agenda. You know, uh, Gavin Newsom is a friend. He'll be the next governor of California. Uh, Gavin has always been a, a sort of a centrist Democrat. Yeah. Uh, his platform running for governor is Medicare for all. Yeah. I mean, flat out, right? Uh, and I never thought, you know, Gavin would be embracing the Bernie Sanders message. Is it, I'm not saying all the rest of it he does. I, I don't really know. But that's but the big one. That That is the, the, the single one. biggest. Yeah, I, I think. It's, it's incredible to see... This, I mean, I've only been, you know, covering politics for ten years, but I've never seen an issue uh, move from the quote-unquote fringe to the mainstream like Medicare for All has in the past years. Or take take another like Donna Shalala, the uh, former yes. Health and Human yes. Services Secretary under Bill Clinton, who's now running for Congress in Florida. She has come out on full Medicare 
for all in a district that you know was represented by a Republican and who who is now uh, re- retiring. Uh, th- there's a couple of blue dogs who have come out for all. It's, it's not just the usual suspects on the left wing of the party. You have two thirds of the Democratic caucus now supporting full, and that's the full single payer medical for all bill. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, you know that that idea has moved so fast. And again, it's Bernie's. It's bet that's Bernie's contribution. Yeah, among others, without but, a doubt. Yeah, without a I mean, doubt. Remember, it was considered crazy. I mean, Hillary just said, "You promise all this stuff you can't deliver, and it's going to wreck everything." And now, not officially, but more and more Democrats have just embraced it flat out. Flat out. She she called it a, a theoretical debate about an idea that will never ever come to pass. That's <laughs> that's what she called it in Iowa. And now the the it's essentially the mainstream position. So of much for the a large part of the party. So much for the audacity of hope that Barack Obama talked about. Like just this idea that yeah you're just never gonna get something done. And now, not even two years later, it's it's it is a major plank in the party. Um, do the Clintons either one have any influence, power, you know, residue of? Power, uh, yeah, inside the Democratic Party today. It's a, a, a yes, but look, they know waning. It's, it's certainly waning compared to what it was. I mean, they've you know essentially ran the party. Uh, yeah, to yeah. a large degree. Not that long ago. Yeah, um, and look, they they understand, or I, I should say, <laughs> Hillary Clinton and her pe- team understands. I don't I don't know about uh, Bill, but they understand the the position that they're in. They understand that. By her coming out for any candidate, you're automatically going to alienate, you know, I don't know, 20 percent of the electorate on either side, both the the Bernie wing and the the Republican Trump wing. Uh, So they're not going to be she's not going to be sticking her head up in a lot of places and, you know, crisscrossing the country and holding rallies and doing that uh, in a very public way, because because I think a lot of people would say that that's not going to be helpful for Democrats. But she can help raise a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can lend her name and credibility to uh, things. She has gotten involved in some races. She just came out for um, a number of secretaries of state candidates, some more you know down ballot, but where in, in, uh, that kind of endorsement can really go uh, a long way. So she's looking for what she can do, but I don't think it's going to be the the Bernie Sanders you know barnstorm around the country kind of thing. How about Barack Obama? We're going to see him play a role on the road. I think a lot of Democrats would like to see him play a much uh, bigger role on the road. I mean. <coughs> I, I heard he, he uh, yes, he, he doesn't seem to be eager to get out there. I mean, Donald Trump has said he's going to be campaigning six or seven days a week. Right. We told Sean Hannity that last week. And he's going to Florida today, as we discussed. And he's got another trip planned later in the week. So, well, I, I got uh, yesterday so. Obama and Biden reunited yeah. to go to this bakery in, in Georgetown. It's a bakery that supports uh, its veterans and, you know, very nice cause. But I, I got two messages from different Democratic operatives saying, Boy, it'd be nice if he went to a bakery in Ohio or mm-hmm. Iowa or you know anywhere other than Georgetown and was campaigning yeah, for right, Democrats. Right. So th- there is some frustration that uh, you know he's the most popular, one of the most popular politicians in the country. He is a huge name, huge draw. Obviously, there's some frustration that he's not doing more. Even and he gave that money. big speech last week. Uh, forget now, but uh, the the it, Nelson it, Mandela speech. Yeah, or, right. Yeah, in it, South Africa, right. Yeah, nice speech, but it, but you know. He feels very constrained by history and by the the role that presidents, ex-presidents, are supposed to play, and that he feels George W. Bush gave him the the room, mm-hmm. and he's very grateful for that. 
So he has so far uh, given Trump the room, but there's a lot of Democrats who say, you know, uh, throw that out the window. We're, we're not in. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's a big difference between right. Barack Obama and George W. Bush and anybody and Donald Trump. Right. All right. So you and Peter Ogburn are the only two people that on the planet I know who yeah. are just yeah. obsessed <laughs> with Bigfoot erotica. Yeah, hell yeah. Let's no. get it. Let's get it. I'm so excited for this story. I was so happy. We obviously invited Alex to come on to talk about other issues, but I was so pleased to see that he wrote about the Bigfoot erotica story. Yeah. What the hell is going on? I mean, and how widespread. So this congressman, Republican candidate. Yeah. From from Virginia, pick it up from, from there. Charlottesville. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, he's a he's a Republican uh, congressional candidate from Virginia, who uh, was called out by his Democratic opponent for uh, being a quote. This is her words: mm-hmm. a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. Uh, and th- her evidence for this is actually uh, pretty strong. <laughs> uh-huh. um, she screen capped a photo of his Instagram page in which he posted a cartoon drawing of Bigfoot with a. Uh, very large, with a with a really strong six pack, I should say. This, yeah, this is like very, a, a very ripped sculpted. six pack. Yeah, very sculpted. And there's a censored bar, uh, strategically placed and quite large, uh, b- between his legs. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he says in the caption that he's working on a book uh, about the mating habits of Bigfoot and why women are are into him. Uh, this is this is totally true. And he has all, previous separately, he has co-authored a different book where uh, he goes that that. It, it, describes itself as a mostly true book where he goes on a Bigfoot hunt in upstate New York uh, and he borrows, he works for, he has a former Air Force guy, he is a consultant for the DOD. He seems to have borrowed a bunch of government equipment like high-tech night vision goggles and maps and stuff to go hunt for Bigfoot in upstate New York. At one point they recruit uh, a college-aged woman to use as bait essentially for Bigfoot because as the very final line of the book says, Bigfoot's like sex too. Uh, so this is this is what's happening in Virginia's fifth congressional district. Now he says he is not a fan of Bigfoot erotica. He says he doesn't even know what Bigfoot erotica is. He's just but, into the the anthropological idea of Bigfoot and why various cultures have fascinations with it. But he also says he took his wife on their fifteenth wedding anniversary on a Bigfoot expedition in in uh, the North Pacific Northwest. What a romance! And uh, and he says, well, he doesn't believe in Bigfoot. It would be really cool if Bigfoot existed because he would love to just have a chat with Bigfoot. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. And is he, is, has he won the primary? He's won the primary. Well, the, well, the, the greatest, he, his, the, he, so he was this, not even supposed to be on the ballot. Is this state legislature or, or, he, he, or uh, Congress? This is for Congress. This for is Congress. This is for Congress. This guy was not, he, he didn't really win the primary. He was not even supposed to be on the ballot. There was a Republican incumbent, Tom Garrett, who had to resign in a, in a totally non-Bigfoot related scandal. Oh, oh. And uh, so the the state party had to scramble to find a candidate, and they found this guy. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, so what's the party saying about this? Uh, so far, the party's not saying much. Uh, they they have leaving him to defend his uh, Bigfoot predilections to <laughs> himself. But he's I gotta give him credit. He is totally leaning into this. Yeah. And and he he put out a, a tweet last night where he literally said, "I could talk about Bigfoot theories all day." He, he gave a six-and-a-half-minute interview, or just edited down to six-and-a-half minutes, so it's probably a much longer interview, with a conservative uh, a, a TV, online TV network, and he describes all the different, you know, some people think Bigfoot is a, a Native American thing, some people he's, think he's an alien, some people think he's an interdimensional time traveler, and he lays into all of this. Uh, and uh, I just got to say, I love this because it's like, 
it's such a, a fun. We, we don't we don't get fun political right. scandals anymore. Right. You know the stakes are pretty low. Both sides seem to be having fun. It's not scary. It's it, it's not it's, it's more weird than disturbing in any way. And it's just so refreshing from all the other <laughs> political scandals that we get these days. Well, I was just thinking, you know, if he were elected, he could start the Bigfoot Caucus. Yeah, right. There you go. I think it's we need to be very very careful here to point out that there is a difference between the Yeti and Bigfoot mm. because Yeti is a violent creature that lives in the snow. Bigfoot apparently is a very giving lover, a very generous <laughs> lover, and, <laughs> and the, the Republican candidate for Congress in Virginia knows this. But I, I remember uh, the days of Bigfoot um, sightings in California. Yeah, you know, it was a big thing for a while, but boy, I haven't heard about it for like you know, 20 years. No, you maybe. know what? The, I mean, I think it's a Discovery There's, Channel or somewhere they've got the, the Finding Bigfoot show that they used to have, and it's just you know, essentially it's it's a bunch of people that just go out looking for signs of, of Bigfoot and they follow them, and it's insane. Yeah, but the Bigfoot erotica takes it into a new That's level. That's a whole new thing. That's a whole new right. thing. And which, which exists. I had no idea, but there, but there's this, this whole subgenre. Well, well, how big is that movement? I don't think it's, I don't think it's huge, uh, but it, uh, it's a lot of self, it's a lot of self-published novels. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of like you know, Random House backed uh, Bigfoot oh. erotica books. No. But there's this whole the, the Washington Post book critic. I love this. The, 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 it wasn't their political writer. It was the Washington Post book critic that took this up, and he investigated the Bigfoot erotica phenomenon. And it turns out there's there's this whole genre of uh, monster erotica they call it, which is like erotica with vampires and you know swamp monsters, yes. werewolves, all that, and, and including Bigfoot. What do they call it? Monster erotica. Monster erotica. Monster erotica. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and that includes and that includes Bigfoot. So if you go on Amazon, you can uh, pick up a you know a nice novel about. Uh, I, I don't know, a damsel in distress getting rescued by Bigfoot, I'm guessing. This is just one more piece of evidence to confirm my theory that there is porn for yes. everything. <laughs> uh, literally everything. If you can imagine it, it somebody already has. And uh, Oh, I can imagine it, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking I'd be willing to bet that Donald Trump's into this. Yeah, gotta be. Gotta be. Don't you think it's made for him? Very, yeah. very strong. Monster erotica. Yeah, folks. He folks, likes strong men. Folks. Yeah. I only paid Pigfoot one hundred thirty thousand dollars to keep quiet about our relationship, <laughs> folks. <laughs> that was being it's called being smart. Oh yeah. God! All right, Alex, you bring a new dimension to politics every time you're here. But this one, <laughs> I, uh, I I'm not sure if I'm sorry or I'm uh, if I should say you're welcome. Um. Oh, oh cool. Um. You're going to stay around here. That's great. 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 Because we're going to be joined next by. Zach Beecham from Vox uh, on all the latest, particularly on the foreign policy front. It is the Bill Press Show, Tuesday, July 1. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Tuesday, July 31. Uh, the Bill Press Show live from uh, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Our studio on Capitol Hill, Alex Seitzwald with us from NBC News as a friend of Bill this entire hour. And we're joined here at the table by our good friend from Vox, uh, Zach Beecham. Hello, Zach. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too, though I was sad to miss the Bigfoot conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a conversation well, it was. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so are, are you a devotee of uh, Bigfoot erotica? Well, I'll tell you, I watched the video yesterday, and I was doing some research beforehand, and I read something that was called Come for Bigfoot. 
Um, I, 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 I would not recommend reading it. It's not a good idea. But the things that we do for journalism, that's the sacrifice I made yesterday. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Uh, can we get the Pulitzer Committee on the, on the line here and make sure they have Zach's up-to-date info? Uh, I'm so yeah. glad. We'll send, this, we'll send this straight off to the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad the three of you have done all of your research on erotica <laughs> so that I do not have to do any. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yesterday, um, <laughs> different kind of erotica. I was in the East Room of the White House for the news conference with the President of the United States and the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte of um, Italy, elected just uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, and the President was asked about meetings, and he went on this riff about he just loves meetings. Man, he loves meetings. Here he is. I believe in meeting. The Prime Minister said it better than anybody can say it. Speaking to other people, especially when you're talking about potentials of war and death yeah, and, famine. and famine and lots of other things, you meet. There's nothing wrong with meeting. We met, <laughs> as you know, with Chairman Kim, and it, uh, you haven't had a missile fired off in nine months. We got our prisoners back. So many things have happened so positive. But uh, meeting with people, I had a great meeting, in my opinion. Of course, the fake news didn't cover it that way, but I had a great meeting I mean, with sorry, uh, President Putin of but Russia. But basically, he was, was saying he'll meeting. meet with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I met with Kim Jong-un, and now everything is fine in North Korea. And the Washington Post headline this morning is, North Korea's building new missiles? Uh, uh, yeah? What do we know about this? It turns out they are. Yes, there's that they're... As far as, you know, the Post sources could tell, they're working on continued development of their missile program. Who which could was, have seen that coming? No, exactly. I know, right? Right. right like, it, no, it's technically true to say there hasn't been a test since Trump's yeah. meeting, right? Like, that's not wrong. But if they're not testing their missiles, they're just building them secretly, and then they're going to test them the second that they get mad at Trump or something like that. Is this really a successful pause in the missile program? And the answer is clearly not, right? The entire point from Trump's point of view of this outreach was to prevent them from building up a missile fleet that could target and hit the United States, right? They already sort of have that, but it's not clear how well it works. And that may well be a failure, in, not to, like, you know, spoil the surprise for you guys. It's also <laughs> clear that that the two sides were talking past each other on the issue, the word, the word, and the meaning of the word denuclearization. Yeah. Right? This... I mean, what, when the North Koreans said that, they weren't talking about what, Donald Trump was talking about when he said it. No, this comes up right. every time we talk about North Korea because it's like this big glaring thing and nobody ever discusses it in the White House. It's, they say, oh, yeah, of course the North Koreans agree with us. Now, the difference is the North Korea means the U.S. would have to literally pull out its threat of using nuclear force on the peninsula, which means ending the alliance with South Korea. It means withdrawing all of U.S. troops from South Korea and just generally getting the hell out of there. North Koreans uh, think that that's what it means to denuclearize, literally get rid of a nuclear threat there. The United States is just like, no, you give up your nukes. And that's denuclearization. It's denuclearization of North Korea versus denuclearization of the entire Korean peninsula. And the U.S. was never going to negotiate on the North Korean standpoint. And the North Koreans were never going to give up all their nuclear weapons because obviously we're afraid of them. So, And that could deter an invasion. So... The way the Trump administration went about these negotiations was, well, it's completely incoherent. It was premised on a lie. But I think well, you, you leave it intentionally vague so, so that you don't have a benchmark on which to compare the, what you end up with against. So you can say we have success and walk away and, you know, and not have it be obviously uh, untrue. And I think that was they knew that going into this whole process. And so they left it 
talking past each other. Well, with my devious political mind, I was sitting there in the East Room yesterday, and while he's riffing about, oh, uh, he'll meet with anybody, anytime, anywhere, <laughs> met with Kim Jong-un, met with Vladimir Putin, yeah, I'll be willing to meet with President Rouhani of Iran, no preconditions. Uh, I kept thinking, yeah, there's one meeting you won't have, dude. What about... Robert Mueller. <laughs> How's that meeting going, uh, Alex? Uh, what meeting? I mean, it's it's not going. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they 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 have despite he has said multiple times. I mean, we could you know right now pull up multiple videos of of Trump saying sure I'll meet with him no problem. Uh, his lawyers have a different opinion about that, and so far I, I doesn't look like it's going to happen, uh, which would then lead us to the potential of Mueller subpoenaing. Trump, which would lead to a Supreme Court uh, battle. So I think that's where we are right now. There's also um, one precondition on the meeting with Mullen, Mueller, which uh, may be a precondition that Donald Trump could never meet, which is he'd have to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> At least he'd have to take an oath to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, I mean, I, un un unlike his meeting with Putin or Kim Jong-un or Rouhani, where he can say whatever the hell he wants. Right. Uh, the yeah, uh, yeah I, I I do not envy Rudy Giuliani in dealing with a client like uh, Donald Trump. I mean the the oh. potential to put him under oath, the perjury potential, uh, even an accidental perjury, just seems very very high. Yeah, but Rudy's uh, bad, even for somebody who has to deal with Donald Trump. He's done an awful job. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say I don't envy Donald Trump having Rudy Giuliani <laughs> as my attorney. No, look at yesterday. He says something on CNN at eight o'clock. He has to call into Fox at noon to say, "No, what I said was not true. It didn't happen." I mean, but but he has it, one distinct advantage over everyone else, which is that he was actually willing to take the job. Yes, well, nobody else would. Yeah, I don't know. They, have they really reached out to Alan Dershowitz? I feel like that's kind of what his <laughs> whole deal is now. Yeah, yeah. He just wrote a book, the case against the impeachment of of Donald Trump. I, I feel like he's auditioning to be Trump's lawyer. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe he's just not on. Well, no, I was going to say he's not on Fox enough. He is on Fox yeah, enough, right? Fox a lot. Well, back to this meeting though. So, uh, Zach, why isn't? I'll put it this way. Meeting with Rouhani is not such a bad idea, right? No, no. If Look, I, I was just slagging Trump a second ago. But if his foreign policy, because, you know, a few days ago, he was threatening literal war with Iran. Yes. He, he yes. Was sent that all caps tweet. He was really mad. Um, if his foreign policy turns out to be, say, crazy stuff, and then afterwards go sit down with whoever he was threatening to start a war with, have negotiations that don't go anywhere but diffuse the tensions that he created, that is much less devastating we were talking about this a little actually before the taping started, um, then he could, then it could have been, right? Then what we all feared from an unstable guy who had basically unilateral access and control over the nuclear codes with no constraints on their use, uh, it could have been worse. Now, we don't yeah, know. It's better than the John Bolton approach, right? Or oh, the yeah. BB Netanyahu approach, which would be bomb the hell out of them. Absolutely right. Um, and that had been a longstanding fear if, if there was a withdrawal right. from the Iran nuclear deal, which of course we've done, um, that that would be the only possible outcome. But if Trump manages to convince himself that he's a master negotiator and it's the art of the deal and he can sit down with the Iranians and, you know, more or less the deal stays in place, even though the U.S. isn't a party to it anymore, uh, that would be okay. It wouldn't be ideal. It wouldn't be as good as things were when Trump entered office. But I would not wake up in the middle of the night being afraid of nuclear yeah. use in the United States. It's almost, Alex, as if the meeting, just for a meeting's sake, is what 
I mean, Donald Trump loves the theatrics, I think, of the of the summit, of the meeting, right? Well, he he, he would Both did, Helsinki and Singapore. A, absolutely. I mean, he, he loves the, yeah, the majesty of the office, the majesty of the meeting. I mean, he did host an entire show where the climax of every episode was a meeting in a boardroom in Trump Tower <laughs> where he would fire somebody, you know, yeah, the, and, yeah. he, and he was in charge. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's right. And, and I think Zach is absolutely right. Like, the, the, for him, the meeting is the, the end. That's not the, it's not the means to an end. That is the end. That's the policy, I think, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, he, you know, the details come later. The, the nerds have to worry about whether they actually do denuclearify. But he gets the meeting, and he can mint coins and uh, celebrate that he that he did it. Is there? You, you mentioned the Iran deal, so we're out of the Iran deal. But the Iran deal didn't go away, did it? Right. So the United the United States was only one of the parties to the Iran nuclear deal, which is the P five plus one. The uh, that means the members of the UN Security Council: the United States, China, Russia, France, and Britain, plus Germany. Um, who are the parties to negotiations. The EU was also a part of that. Um, and so this means that if the U.S. leaves, there's still five parties to the, well, six, and then Iran. So it could still stay in force. And honestly, the Iranians care more about European sanctions coming back into force than they do about American sanctions coming back into force because the United States had never really, since the revolution, been a major trading partner with Iran, whereas Europe had been much mm-hmm. less strict and only sanctioned since uh, it's pushed for, well, they would say not nuclear weapons, but clearly they were pushing towards nuclear weapons at one point, uh, you know, more recently. And so that that cutoff of European trade really bit them. So right now, Iran still has an incentive to stay in the deal because American sanctions are that punishing. The question is whether or not the U.S. wants to push the Europeans into into leaving the deal or, or otherwise negates it. Uh, or Iranian domestic politics gets pushed in a direction by American belligerency such that they don't have a choice other than their leadership doesn't have much of a choice uh, other than to start up the nuclear program again. And so it's not that the deal is dead. It's that it's an extremely precarious situation. And the United States, while out of the deal, still has tremendous potential to screw up its implementation and to screw up the incentives that other parties have to adhere to it. So Trump sitting with Rouhani would be an excellent sign for the survival of the nuclear deal, despite the United States being out of it. Yeah. yeah the, 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 what I could never understand, Alex, was this. We were um, going after North Korea, uh, insisting that they give up their nuclear program and going to punish them if they don't, whereas Iran had already done that, <laughs> and we were punishing them for doing so. It's, you know, total contradiction. Right. I, I'm not sure whether Donald Trump ever understood that, but his policy was, I believe, in, inherently contradictory. Yeah, I, the, I mean, the the, the core problem uh, when dealing with North Korea or any of this is, if you're another country and you're thinking about proceeding down the path of of acquiring a nuclear weapon, you could see a pretty good argument for doing it and getting better leverage uh, against uh, the United States than. Abandoning it. I mean, Iran abandoned it, and look at where they are. And North Korea has pr- proceeded and succeeded, and look at where they are relative and to the. Nor Mark Gaddafi uh, gave up his. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and look where he ended look where up. He, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, right. Um, the president yesterday also said, "As I'll my notes from the, of the, the news conference yesterday, uh, he talked about NATO. He said NATO was going out of business, and now thanks to me." 
it's stronger than ever. In fact, he said that uh, Saltenberg, the uh, head of NATO, is actually, he said, the biggest fan of Trump <laughs> in the world. Is he now the... Um, I mean, did he read anything that came out of that meeting <laughs> when Sultanberg said, I can be stupid, too, was his explanation of what happened in the meeting? Um, because he just they put together these like little flip cards with like big, pretty visualizations that were like, Donald, you can't leave NATO. Donald, NATO does this thing. And it was just like a big photo or something. And, and apparently that got through to him. And now he loves NATO. Or that's what he says. Who knows? But Again, this I, I, I guess you do have to, or do you have to give them credit for that? People have stepped up, or countries have stepped up their contributions to NATO. Yeah, not four percent, maybe, but they are giving more money. I don't know. It's not. First of all, Trump talks about it as being contributions to NATO, but that's like that's not actually what it is. Uh, uh, right, you're right. right. It's it, their spending. Go ahead. Yeah, you, they're, you explain. It, it's their domestic defense spending, as as you were saying. Um, and, and that was on the rise before Donald Trump was president. And it actually has to do with his buddy, Vladimir Putin, because a lot of European countries were understandably concerned after the invasion of Crimea and eastern Ukraine that Russia would, in fact, try to test the boundaries of NATO. And so NATO countries built up their domestic militaries and started spending more precisely because the threat environment got worse. It doesn't have a lot to do with Trump, this increase, these increases that you're talking about. But it's a happy coincidence that that's what he's obsessed with, uh, domestic defense spending by European allies. Because as it goes up, he can claim credit for it, and, and that's fine. Um, and then everyone can be happy and the alliance can go on about its business without having to worry about Trump harping on defense spending. And this is a, another case, Alex, where... We feared the worst. I mean, the, orig the original fear was that from his, based on his early comments, that he was going to get pulled of the, the U.S. out of NATO. Entirely. Yeah. Right. I, I, he does this a lot, right? He sets a uh, very extreme kind of, he floats a, a tribal in with a very extreme idea and then walks back on it. And so uh, the critics are kind of relieved uh, by it, but I think if he hadn't set that first trial balloon, we would be even more alarmed, or a lot of the people who are alarmed by what he's doing about NATO now would be even more alarmed uh, than if he, you know, could, but this feels like a reassuring middle ground. So uh, the other big uh, issue that where Donald Trump made news yesterday, uh, not related to any foreign policy issue at all, but he started out, uh, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> Story uh, of the but, presidency. Right. What's, di what's different about Donald Trump <laughs> doing something weird? So the, the setting is a news conference with the prime minister of Italy with whom he just completed like two hours of meetings on things, things that we're working together on as two countries and allies. And Donald Trump uses the occasion to announce that he's going to shut down the government if he doesn't get what he wants <laughs> on the border. Here, uh, here he is. As far as the border is concerned, and personally, if we don't get border security, after many, many years of talk within the United States, I would have no problem doing a shutdown. It's time we had proper border security. A shutdown in September, Alex. How's that help the Republicans? In the midterms. Uh, well, there's a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill who would say it absolutely does not, and they do not want this to happen. They uh, want to focus on local issues going on in their congressional districts, uh, not talk about Donald Trump, and certainly not have a major conflict over a very divisive issue. 
That said, I thought they were going to talk about tax cuts. Yeah, they were going to talk about tax cuts, and then that doesn't seem to be working very well. So then they were going to talk about the economy, yeah. which is just doing very well. But uh, you know, the, but now they're going to talk, talk about, about shutdown. There, there is a kind of a, uh, a, a a crazy logic here, which the, the, I will say the Republicans on Capitol do not agree with. But but you could make the case uh, these districts are so gerrymandered this year that Democrats need to win over Republicans and independents in a lot of these places. So they need people to step out of their partisan tribes, partisan comfort zones. If Trump can single-handedly snap people back into their partisan zones, then you could potentially really hurt uh, Democrats in some of these swing districts. As we were saying earlier, Trump has like a 80, 90 percent approval rating with Republicans. So even if people don't support building the wall, if they see that their team is, you know, on this thing, whether they agree with the policy or not, there's a chance that they'll fall into that that camp. I don't know that's what's going to happen, but that's the that's the argument for it. That seems like a stretch to me, uh, a, a, you know, a big stretch politically. I mean, yeah. if the exactly uh, you, you, you chime in here, but. If Republicans control everything right now, right? So if they control everything and then they shut down the government, it's sort of to me, it's like an admission. We don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, I think the logic that Alex just outlined isn't crazy abstractly, but it would make a lot more sense if it were over an issue like abortion um, and it weren't a unilateral uh, shutdown of the government when you control all aspects of the government, right? Like this is something that typically... The party that's responsible um, for Congress gets the blame for. In the past, uh, you know, Republicans shut down the government. I believe it was twice during the Obama administration. And both times, polls showed the Republicans got the blame because they controlled Congress and it was a fight with the president. Now they control all three branches and they're going to shut down the government. The notion that, well, and given the timing especially, it wouldn't fade, it would likely not fade in time. Well, there's no doubt who would get the. If they're in charge of the House, the Senate, and the White House, there's no doubt who gets the blame if they shut it down. He's right? already I mean, he's already taking credit in advance for this <laughs> yes, happening. Yeah. We don't we don't have to have the blame game. He is saying <laughs> months in advance, I will shut down the government. Me over here. Yeah, so so yeah. yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, but I do I, I, I completely agree, and I want to underscore what what Zach just said. If this happens, uh, I think the last six weeks of this election are going to be incredibly important even they're always important but especially the news cycle moves so fast our metabolism is so high that nothing really sticks i mean remember we had a government shutdown in january like that's that i i don't even remember that barely but it happened and we thought that Did might we really then, yeah, i forgot about that too. but that was a quickie that it was, was a, a weekend it was a, sure it was a weekend <laughs> no, it was a weekend but shut the, down but they was, don't count but if you go back and you yeah, read that there was yes, a lot of takes right. about how this is going to really hurt democrats right. or really hurt republicans yeah. in november and we don't even remember it we don't remember what happened last tuesday let alone yeah. six months ago but that's why I, the, the the last six weeks of this election are really going to matter, I think, because that's what pe- will be on people's minds and that's what they'll be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big shocking news yesterday, uh, stunning news, was that um, Rand Paul is going to support Brett Kavanaugh. Who would have seen that coming? I, I Rand Paul caving for the Trump administration what? over his professed libertarian <laughs> principles? I, I find this baffling. Right. Or Rand Paul saying one thing and then doing just the exact opposite? No, not Rand Paul, right? This this is a game that he's played how many times? Uh, yeah, he and he just has weird instincts where he takes the stand, because he knows he has to take a stand every so often to not be totally seen as a, you know, a, a flip-flopper or whatever. <laughs> I can think of a, a worse way of saying it that I won't say yeah, on the radio. Okay. Yes. Um, but th- he takes his stands in the weirdest places that are, you know, not 
super principled. They're not super popular. And on and they're on small ball things that don't really cost him or cost the party anything. And then on the big issues like the next Supreme Court justice, he takes he caves and no one even bats an eyelash because we saw it coming from miles away. Uh, had a uh, chance last night at a uh, reception here in town to speak with Senator Kamala Harris from uh, California. Um, do either of you doubt that uh, Senator Kamala Harris is, uh, has our eyes on 2020? I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm going to say I have no surprises or would be surprised if she didn't run or at the very least wasn't positioning herself for a vice presidential pick. Mm-hmm. How's yeah. it look to you? Did she, I mean, at this point, uh, everyone's running until – everyone who we talk about running yeah. is running until, until they, they, say they, they, say, they say they're not. Exactly. Good, good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I know – I mean, I know for, for sure that she is positioning herself – to, to look at it, uh, what but how the field shapes up will will determine a lot about uh, you know what she ends up doing. Yeah, and f- you have to say for those people who say she hasn't been there long enough, she's just a freshman senator. She's only been there two years. Barack he, Obama. Everybody, yeah. yeah. Remember Barack <laughs> Obama. Right? Yeah. So, so uh, she's smart to look at it. I think, and uh, I I had no doubt from my brief conversation with her last night that she is. Yeah, not that she made any announcement, but just going to get the feeling. So, good to see you guys. Thank you for All coming right. in. Thank exactly. you. Always great to see you at Vox.com and at NBCNews.com, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bill Press Show. Uh-huh.